I'm a true believer in, per- in uh, promotion, prevention, like upstream healthcare, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So as soon as I saw that there may even be an issue, even if there wasn't, I'd rather get him the support he needs to be as successful as he can be. So that's kind of why I pursued looking into getting an SLP. Welcome to Some Stutter Law, Newfoundland Labrador's first podcast about living with communication disorders. It is a production of the Communication Collaborative. My name is Greg O'Grady, and I am a person who stutters and your host. Some Stutter Law aims to rebuild confidence and hope for people who live with communication differences by dismantling myths, stigma, stereotypes, and barriers. For more information about the Communication Collaborative or this podcast, you can find us at Some Stutter Law. If you only get one thing from this podcast, we hope it's this. It's okay to stutter and it's okay to communicate differently. It's not how we communicate that's important, it's the message that's important. Today, Some Stutter Law welcomes Ashley Clagher. Ashley is also my niece. Today, some study law will be discussing a speech disorder called apraxia, childhood apraxia. Ashley has a young son, Odin, Odin, that has apraxia. Now, Ashley, I've also asked Ashley to read her introduction because it's only appropriate to hear her introduction from Odin's mother. So, Ashley, welcome. Thank you. Sure, I'll, um, I'll bring it up here now. Um, so as Greg mentioned, my name is Ashley Kladkar and I'm originally from Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. Um, I work in the field of human resources and although I completed my, completed my studies in kinesiology and health studies uh, with a focus in Indigenous health, health promotion and policy, I am working in the human resources field. Um, I completed my post-secondary education in Regina, Saskatchewan, and I spent 17 years all over the province there before returning to my home province in Newfoundland last year with my husband Jeremy and our two beautiful children, Eliana, who's five, and Odin, who's three. Um, so with regard to Odin, uh, my husband and I welcomed our hardworking, sensitive, smart baby man, which is who what my daughter called him when he first arrived in January of 2019. Um, and right from the get-go, he was a force to be reckoned with. He immediately loved his big sister and watched and mimicked her at every moment and every opportunity he could, as soon as he was able, of course. Um, this is was how I first noticed he wasn't as verbally communicative as his sister was at about the same age. Um, so it was around, probably around the 15-month mark when I became somewhat concerned about own speech. Um, obviously it's said to never compare two children. However, I couldn't ignore that at checkups with the doctor. It wasn't easy. Yes. When asking about his word count, unlike checkups with my daughter, um, I started paying more attention around the 18 month mark. I felt that it really wasn't improving the way Eliana's had when she was younger. So I started looking into options. Um, I found a private SLP in Saskatoon that was able to see Odin once every month or so starting October of 2020. Um, so there's definitely some concern that he wasn't meeting speech milestones at that point, but no official diagnosis, likely because of his age. He was a bit too young for a diagnosis then. Um, 
So since moving home and securing unbelievable SLP support based on recommendations from our SLP in Saskatoon, we received a diagnosis almost immediately um, and then our journey really began. So uh, Odin was diagnosed with childhood apraxia of speech, which in and of its name, um, they don't grow out of. It's not just um, for like, it's really usually just diagnosed in childhood. Um, so ever since then, we've been working hard to support our strong-willed baby man at every turn. So our family and friends have been truly amazing by learning whatever they can to help and support and do what's best for Odin. Um, but ultimately, um, Odin's really impressive. Like his work ethic, um, intelligence and patience is really the reason why he's so successful. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to be part of this podcast today to share our story and hopefully support someone with their journey as well. Thank you very much, Ashley, for uh, sharing that lovely introduction. Uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with apraxia of speech, I, I did some research and on Google, of course, where Google has all the answers. All of them. And uh, <laughs> apraxia of speech, AOS, also known as acquired apraxia of speech, verbal apraxia or childhood apraxia of speech, CAS, when diagnosed in children, is a speech sound disorder. Someone with uh, AOS has trouble saying what he or she wants to say correctly and consistently. AOS is a neurological disorder that affects the brain pathways involved in planning the sequence of movements involved in producing speech. The brain knows what it wants to say but cannot properly plan and sequence the required speech movements. Now there are uh, there are two types of apraxia of speech, acquired apraxia of speech and childhood apraxia of speech. So correct me if I'm wrong Ashley, uh, uh, um, Odin has been diagnosed with childhood apraxia of speech. Yeah. And uh, Childhood apraxia of speech is present from birth. This condition, development, verbal apraxia or articulatory apraxia, childhood of speech, is not the same as developmental delays in speech, in which the childhood child follows the typical path of speech development, but does uh, so more slowly than is typical. The causes of childhood apraxia are not well understood. And imaging and other studies have not been able to find evidence of brain, brain damage or differences in brain structure. So, Ashley, uh, how, how is Odin doing now? Now, I understand that he's, he's in speech therapy. Yeah, so um, when we moved here, we were able to find um, two wonderful speech therapists, actually, that we were able to work up to about three times a week um, private speech therapy sessions for anywhere from 30 minutes to 45 minutes a session. Um, and that's really the what they they say is the best thing for children with who've been diagnosed with CAS. Um, and so he, yeah, we were attending three times a week. His speech has improved dramatically. Um, it's really just about a lot of repetition, hard work, and um, you know, working on it all the time. So, you know, it's a lot of teaching parents and family members and friends or people that are close to you how to support him or best support him to be able to communicate. He's doing wonderfully. 
great to hear, Ashley. Ashley, can you share a little bit about how you your 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 speech journey to to uh, um, become aware that there is something more uh, different about Odin's speech? Can you share a little bit more about? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so really, honestly, it came down to having a child that was a little bit older, and um, Eliana was very. Uh, I don't even know, like fluent, really early. Um, she, her, her speech was phenomenal. Honestly, people would comment on how articulate um, she was early on. And so having a second child um, and around, I think I would say that, like I said in the introduction, probably between the 12 and 15 month um, checkup, whenever we had that again, now, COVID had hit during all of this. So like even just getting in to see physicians and stuff was a little bit more difficult. Um, he, uh, when they asked like, you know, is this word count at this at whatever, you know, appointment we were at, I really struggled to sit down and say like, yes, for sure. Or, you know, with Ellie, it was never any problem. Like they were like, is her word count at this? And I was like, yes, well beyond that. Um, I had to sit down and actually think about what he was saying, how many words he was saying. I noticed like it was, if he was hitting, it was barely. Um, so early on, it, he was barely hitting those, um, those milestones. Um, and I did notice like as, a, as an infant or, you know, a baby anyways, he was, um, he didn't do the same like babbling and, things that my daughter did. So from a like expressive communication, like through verbal communication, I found he was not as verbally expressive as my daughter, um, which I've learned since learned, I believe is, is an indication of childhood apraxia of speech or, or verbal apraxia. Um, so yeah, I just kept an eye on it. And everyone told me like, just give him some time, you know, sometimes boys are a little bit later speaking and, um, you know, all those types of stereotypes or things. I don't even know if they're stereotypes, to be honest, like they could, they could be true, but there was just something that kind of hit that, um, made me pursue it. So once, uh, once we hit about that, like 18 month mark and I was like, you know, this is, I'd write like, I, I don't know, I'm a true believer in, per, in, uh, promotion prevention, like upstream healthcare, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So as soon as I saw that there may even be an issue, even if there wasn't, I'd rather get him the support he needs to be as successful as he can be. So that's kind of why I pursued looking into getting an SLP. Mm -hmm. When when you first spoke to uh, to your doctor, by the way, what was his response again? Or you, I mean, this per this person's response? Um, they just said keep an eye. That was pretty much like the the communication I think I received from my family physician, um, and so there was no like no such thing as a referral at that point. He was so young, and a lot of times, um, even you know, I'm sure a speech language pathologists would be able to give a better indication of when they would do testing for this. But everything I'm seeing from you know different support groups that I'm part of on Facebook or whatever else, it's usually after the two-year mark and closer to the three-year mark where people are the kids are being formally diagnosed with this um so and it is diagnosed with somebody um, an slp who is familiar and can do the testing or whatever so um yeah i just i just looked into an slp because i felt like even if he was just a little bit 
like the language wasn't coming easily to him without a formal diagnosis i was like what can what can it hurt to try to get some support for him so that's mm -hmm. why i kind of i did what i did i don't think anyone really thought there was going to be any concern um he was otherwise like incredibly healthy right there was nothing no other concerns there's no behavioral issues there's no um oh gosh like there was nothing else of concern i guess that had come up so it was just like ah, eh, it could just be a little bit longer where, where he'll he'll kind of take to speech and a lot of times you, you hear it all the time as well about um older siblings talking for the younger children so eliana was able to like help him express what he wanted um versus him saying it himself so there was a little bit of like you know maybe that's what's happening here maybe there isn't but i was like if anything if we go to see an slp then you know if there is anything wrong at least it'll be caught early when uh, when you uh, uh first worked with the speech uh, speech and i mean speech language pathologist and i believe uh, uh, before you move back to Newfoundland, there, there was some question that there wasn't a formal diagnosis. That's right. Or was yeah. That? So, uh, no. Why, why was that? I think because of his age. Um, there was a lot of, you know, we think that there's a speech, um, like the neurological thing happening. Um, and there was a speech delay in, in some context, but I they i hadn't even heard the term apraxia until i met with an slp here um although the words that the slp chose to use when i was looking for somebody here and refer me to an slp here uh, like a motor speech disorder or potential motor speech disorder that's what um she started looking for slps here that were trained in prompt so different types of trainings best like specific to uh, being successful with apraxia. Um, so when she said motor speech disorder, then that was confirmed on this end when I started seeing an SLP here that said, yes, like there is, it's an apraxia of speech or childhood apraxia of speech. Um, and that totally fit. Like once we, once I got to learn about it, um, and as time went on and they started using like prompt, um, the prompt method, I guess, is probably, I have no idea how to even really say that. Um, once they started using prompt, then you could see that, like, he just started to do quite well. He's, his, his word count jumped dramatically. His expressive speech was amazing. Yeah. Huge difference in a short period of time when it was kind of almost labeled and, um, or diagnosed and then supported appropriately. Would uh, would you uh, be able to elaborate a little bit more, Ashley, on what prompting means from a SLP yeah. perspective? Or? So I'm actually just going to look up while I'm on. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, yeah, exactly. Google is like lovely. So it's a technique. Um, so actually what it stands for is prompts for restructuring oral muscular phonetic targets. And so um, SLPs assess and treat individuals holistically by uh, approaching communication as an interaction of the physical, sensory, cognitive, linguistic, and social emotional domain within the conceptual framework. So that's how it's described there when it first pops up on Google. But what I've noticed is when SLPs are working with him, um, he's right now struggling with the f sound. Um, they'll go f 
And so that reminds him, like, they'll say things like bunny teeth. So it reminds him to put his top teeth on his bottom lip to make the f. So when he says feet or foot or fight, because um, normally his what he's done to adapt um, because he hadn't had that sound is he uses S sounds. So instead of fight, it'd be sight, which obviously has completely two different meanings, right? So in context, most people will pick up on what it means and what he's trying to say. I, I don't know, maybe not most people, but that just seems to be the common, um, what I'm hearing back is people are still understanding him, um, but prompt will like help remind the child. So like if it was, O sounds, I've seen them do like, O things like that to try to help um, with the lips. They'll mimic it a lot themselves. Um, and so there's lots of eye contact, close contact, and then they'll actually use touch to help support the muscular, what needs to happen with the muscles in order to produce the sound that's needed for the word. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 slightly off topic, Ashley, just, just listening to you now, listening to you now, you are a quick speaker, quick talker. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yes. And I'm nervous. So I speak even more quickly. <laughs> okay. Because I'm, I'm curious that when you're, I'm sure you have a lot of speak uh, to do a lot of therapy with Ashley at, at, with Odin at home. Do you, are you more conscious now of when you're, you're working with them in terms of slowing down your pace? Now, the so, reason why I'm saying that, the reason why I'm saying is, sorry for cutting off, as a no. person who stutters, I find that, uh, you see, I always succumb, and I'm, I'm, I've been working with this for years now, that to really sort of, uh, not to allow a person who has a, a quick space in speaking to overwhelm me, because when I'm trying to work as on a, I mean, that's me, it's not the speaker's fault, it's me, but it's as if I'm trying to sort of really sort of concentrate on slowing down my speech so I can use my targets and not, not allowing the other, the listener to overpower me. I'm just wondering now, has that, well, are you sensitive to that with Odin? So, first of all, I, I, you know, I know you said it's not my fault, but like, it's not your fault either. So I know that, you know, we all are, have our differences and all that fun stuff. Um, but I do, so I, I'm conscious, now I know I'm nervous, so when I'm on camera or I'm public speaking, I do speed up. Um, I'm very aware of that from like, a, you know, my, even my professional life. Um, or even in university when I was told to slow down because they couldn't understand me <laughs> um, as a Newfoundlander when I went away. So I think, um, I think with Odin, I, um, so the, the tough thing is I, I'm more, I, I, how can I put it? When he's speaking, I just need to ensure I allow the time for him to say what he needs to say because he is, and this is the thing with apraxia, there's, um, he has it now and he hasn't obviously verbalized this to me or illustrated that you know, with children in general, sometimes you do need to slow down and allow them the time to process and, and communicate. Um, but he fully understands everything that everyone's saying all the time. Um, there's no concern with input. So um, I'm not as, likely I'm not as concerned or I don't necessarily think about the speed of speech, 
more so ensuring I allow the time for him to take it in um, like any other child, but then allowing him even extra time to be able to communicate back. And not unlike with stuttering, you don't want to fill in words for him. Um, he just needs to be able to be provided the time to um, figure out that motor planning piece. Well, Ashley, when you first heard her the diagnosis of apraxia, what was your response? What did I do wrong? <laughs> I think that okay. was like a little bit of guilt from a mom perspective. I think that's, I think that's probably really normal. Like, did I not take enough um, supplements to support his neurological development? Um, you know, you do everything. Like, did we not spend enough? To, but like, you know, it was, it was, you do that piece. I think that's a pretty normal thing for any mom to question if they could have done anything differently that would have changed the outcome. Um, but then I think it came down to like, very quickly came down to like, once I started researching, um, it wasn't about finding out why it was more about how do we support him the best we can. And so we, it was just do anything in our power um, to support him to be able to be as communicative as he can be. Uh, based, uh, based on the, the research here, actually, it says that the uh, childhood apraxia of speech is a rare but severe motor speech disorder that affects less than 1% of children. Are, 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 are there any support groups for uh, parents or family? in like in the Newfoundland or St. John's area, you know? Um, I haven't found anything locally, but I haven't fully like looked locally. Um, I have had like a friend that I worked with in my previous, in one of my previous um, lives, <laughs> um, her daughter had been diagnosed. So it was kind of nice to just even connect with her. Um, but there is an online, like there's a, an online support group for grandparents. So um, I've, you know, opened that up and, you know, let my parents and my husband's parents know that that's there. And I believe they're part of those groups on Facebook. I'm um, part of an apraxia of speech um, general group. So there's lots of communication happening there. Um, I think originally, like it is a, it seems like majority of the people on there um, are from America. So like the systems are a little bit different and those types of things but um you can kind of like if you can take it and do a comparative to what services and everything's available here in canada or newfoundland specifically then it is really helpful um and even just different bodies of research um, that they can put you onto, and as well like there's the um oh my goodness the main it's out of america as well but it's a an apraxia um nonprofit. And so they do, you know, the walks and everything every year, fundraisers. They're there as a support um, when it comes to if you need like a, a device to help support the uh, verbal communication piece. Um, so they have lots of, there's lots of resources there um, as well. So I've, you know, I've come across different groups per se or um, resources that I, I try to keep on top of or at least like touch base with to kind of see where things are at but really like my main resources are the SLPs that we work with. 
So Ashley, uh, you know, uh, you 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 uh, you were saying that when you first heard a diagnosis, there's, you, you felt a lot of guilt. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Sure, as long as I don't start to cry, and definitely elaborate on that. <laughs> um, no, I just think um, you know, it's there's no. There's nothing that tells us where this comes from. And so um, there's lots of, you know, you wonder what you didn't do right, or if you should have done something differently, or if you didn't get the care necessary during your pregnancy. Like there was, there was a lot of questions that I couldn't answer because I didn't know what happened, like what went wrong or um, and really like I've changed my mindset, of course, quite a bit because it's like he's nothing's wrong with my child. He's absolutely wonderful in every way he is, but um, you always want the best for your kid and anything that would make life a little bit more difficult is really tough, like, you know, right from the get-go. So you just do the whole, you know, what could I have done differently? You know, did something go wrong? Um, did something I didn't catch up, catch up, like catch or <laughs> you just, you just internalize a lot um, trying to figure out what you could have done differently so that you didn't have the exact same outcome. But, um, you know, there's, you know, looking and being part of the group online on Facebook, I noticed lots of parents go, I shouldn't say lots, I've seen instances in which parents have um, gone and gotten so much testing done their children are you know trying to figure they're trying to figure out what exactly caused um this outcome and uh to me once i got past the guilt um it was just about you know this is this is who he is and this is what we're we've been dealt and that's not a bad thing it just means that he's going to need a little bit more support um, and how do we support him the best way we can so he can be as successful as possible? Like he's, he's a phenomenal child. Like obviously, you know, him, Greg. So, um, it was, you know, even talking with SLPs and getting, like, we were so reassured, um, when they first met him and said, you know, he's, he doesn't get frustrated. Like they have seen other children get frustrated who can't express themselves well. And sometimes you'll see behavioral issues come out of that. Um, but he didn't have those same level or didn't have those like behavioral issues because he was they said he's every slp said like he's incredibly intelligent and so he was able to communicate in other ways um that allowed him to and he allowed him to not be as frustrated or he was able to control his frustration um because he was able to communicate with us the way he needed to in order to get his needs met in whatever way that whatever that looked like so he was very much um you know he would take my hand and bring me to something if he couldn't say it and then like i knew what he wanted because he was just so good at using physical means to get it or um hand movements gestures um sister sister knew sometimes what he wanted before mom and dad knew so he was he's just a really intelligent kid that um, so I knew as soon as we started, like any bit of, 
um, support, like with SLP or any sort, any of those sessions, he would have just, he started to flourish because he was given the tools to be able to say what he wanted to say. And that was huge. So the mm. guilt, you know, there's still moments of guilt, but it's, I don't, I don't, I'm never really going to get any answers. So at some point it's, it's not about that. It's about him and how successful he can be. So just move forward. Uh, 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 Ashley, do do you have you know have uh, have have any advice to uh, to give to other parents with children with apraxia? What advice would you give them? Oh gosh, I think one thing would be to trust your gut. Um, if I could, if I had a dollar for every time someone said to me like, "Oh, it's fine. He's just, you know, it's his speech will come," or um, you know, he's so young yet. Don't worry about it. Um, man, I'd, I'd have, I'd have a pretty healthy savings account, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of times you just need to trust your, trust your God. Um, and, um, you know, you, your instinct, you know, your child better than anyone knows your child. Um, and so just listen to yourself and, and do what you feel is the best way to move forward. There's just so many opinions. I think do your own research again. You know, I'm, I'm a true believer in, in, in solid research and looking for the right, the right, you know, the right type of research and from, you know, um, whether it's peer reviewed journal articles or whatever, um, I go to those types of places first to find my information or I go to professionals that know more than I do, which is a lot. <laughs> so I go to those, like I, I go, I do that kind of stuff. Um, just inform yourself and do what's best for your kid. Where, uh, yeah. where would uh, families find this online support group? Okay, so um, on Facebook. Is there a specific name? I don't even have to search for it now. Um, yeah, I'm just bringing up the, it's called Apraxia Kids Official Support Group is, um, is the group I follow. I also follow, um, what is his name? Jordan is his first name, but it's he says fighting for my voice, my life with verbal apraxia. He is a phenomenal advocate for people with apraxia. So he is, you know, an adult now, um, you know, talking about it and talking about the challenges he had and the sports he had and and what he's doing. And he's an advocate now, like he steps in to like people can hire him to support. Um, because there's lots of, there's not a lot of information. So educators, it seems as if, um, and again, like I said, a lot of the groups I follow are based out of America. So um, the lack of knowledge or understanding of the condition is minimal. So, you know, um, having the appropriate resources at your disposal to be able to advocate for your child when they are school age, those types of things. Um, I also follow SLP mommy of apraxia, dyspraxia, dyslexia. So it's a mother who is an SLP who had a child with um, apraxia. And there's, yeah, there's just, you know, Apraxia Kids, I think, is the name of the organization that I also follow online. Um, and they have tons of research and tools and that kind of stuff that you can um, look to if you're looking for some guidance. Yeah. So, so Ashley, what is the prognosis for? Oh, now has your speech therapist talked about that prognosis? Yeah, 
I think everyone's a little bit nervous because you don't want to like jinx anything. <laughs> um, but he's, you know, the last conversation I had and um, it was really, really like um, awesome is that if he continues um, with the work he's doing now and how successful if he stays on the same path, um, it's highly likely that Odin may not need spree, like additional supports by the time he hits school. Mm. So um, we've been, we've obviously been doing a really intensive private sessions or whatever. Um, I have reached out to try to get some public support just because, you know, um, it is quite pricey to have uh, a child, even with really great benefits plans. It doesn't really cover the cost needed to to attend to see a SLP three times a week or even twice a week or even once a week. It's it's very minimal. So mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking by, you know, that's the hope is that, and that was always my goal is if I can have him to meet the milestones that, uh, you know, an average or normal child would be meeting from a speech perspective by the time he's in school, then I think we're ahead of the game. Mm. Um, and that's where, so far, like my understanding right now, the only sound he doesn't have for a three-year-old is the F sound. And that's the sound he's working on. So he does correct himself often. He reminds himself or um, if he says things like sight instead of fight, which is not a word we use often, but either way, uh, sight or soot instead of foot, say, um, I just go f and he'll say foot. Um, so he is, or he's picking up on himself. So I'm, you know, He's just worked really, really hard, and you know, he's been really successful. You know, Ashley, I'm, I'm laughing to, you know, uh, laughing, uh, uh, you know, laughing in, in my mind at the moment, because for a person who stutters, uh, that um, for people who stutter, we often talk about the F word. <laughs> we call it the fluency <laughs> word. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the effort is so challenging to, and it causes. Well, I'm talking about Greg O'Grady as an adult who stutters. That uh, we, you know, we, we get so caught up in fluency that it sort of creates a lot of discomfort emotionally, psychologically. So this is why I'm. As only about a few months ago, that I was attending a group, and one of the participants. A young lady and a registered nurse who had a severe stutter, and she sort of talked about the F word. And I thought, oh, where's this conversation leading to? And she she said that I'm talking about the fluency word because we, we get so caught up in fluency that we forget that there's so many definitions of fluency. You know what I mean? And uh, so I've leaned towards uh, managing my stutter. Not the fluency. The fluency is a byproduct. The most important thing is managing versus fluency. So this is why, I mean, this triggered a lot of segue. Yeah. Ashley, you mentioned that you follow a gentleman, Jordan, who is an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, does the practice still affect his professional, personal life? And if so, can you share? Um, that's a good question. Um... So I watch videos with him, um, and so I can tell that I would think yes, it does affect his 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 life. Um, I think he's used it obviously to like. It's just been his experience and his understanding of the. Um, 
societal things that exist or structures that is, exist and how to navigate that has is, is been phenomenal, right? He's, his way of navigating through because of his experiences is a great way to advocate for, for kids now. So from that perspective, yes, um, I do, you know, when he's speaking, um, he does speak in very intentionally um, and for somebody who speaks really quickly, he speaks slowly. Um, but he's like his enunciation and his ability to communicate is great, right? Like he's, you can have, you know, I can, I can, he has a conversation or he has a, he posts something and I am engaged. I'm fully can hear everything he's saying. Nothing is out of, you know, it's not his enunciation and all the, like the consistency of the words. He's able to get the words correct every time he speaks, right? Um, just takes a little bit of time. So I think he's, I think it would still impact his life. Um, but I'd hate to speak on his, on his behalf as well, because that's, that's his lived experience. Right. And I think, um, if you do follow him or if you want to take a look at it, it's worthwhile to, he's just such a phenomenal advocate and I wouldn't want to put words in someone's mouth. Um, I just, it's just a really interesting take, especially to see like somebody as an adult living with it um, and what they've done. He's done some pretty great things. I'm wondering, Lashie, with with your involvement now uh, with with the whole world of apraxia, uh, do do they use the word disability? Has that been used at all? Is apraxia considered a disability, or is it on the fence? I so I, I've used the word disability um i have no idea if it's actually considered a disability or not like if it would fall with, i don't even know what the the um the guidelines to be considered a disability but i would consider it um you know if if you have a neurological other neurological concerns sometimes those you know would be considered i would think a disability um, so I've just associated myself, which is maybe not the right thing to do, but, um, it doesn't, yeah, to me like that, I don't know, maybe the word itself doesn't bother me either. Like, I think I'd rather, um, I'd rather people understand that he has difficulty trying to speak and allow him the opportunity than to pretend like it's nothing like something's not there mm -hmm. if that makes sense but i don't know like yeah, yeah. um it, yeah. well, it, it actually makes makes sense uh, actually because you know for you know for, uh, as a person who stutters now a senior that i never thought i never even thought about stuttering as being a dis disability until the uh, 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 uh until the new Newfoundland Labrador Studying Association was asked to join a member of a disability group. And it's interesting that uh, so there's a lot of discussion back and forth. And so I reached out to a lot of people that don't know who stutter. And there's a gamut of, uh, there's a 50 50, it's like a board of directors. Some people say, yes, it is a disability. Some who say that that it's not a disability. So you're right. We're so caught up in the definition. However, stuttering is part of the charters of rights. It is considered a disability. But if you you speak to in if you speak to individual who stutter, 
that it's you know you get so many different uh, opinions you know mm-hmm. yeah so Ashley I'm wondering now uh, you you also answered one uh, you also you also alluded to one of my questions in terms of cost for speech therapy that is a definite challenge like, do, is there any subsidies available for praxia? Um so treatment I, mean. I haven't yeah i haven't besides like government supported slp services um which i understand here in the province of newfoundland anyways like you apply or you're referred um you can do a self-referral so um either way you get referred um i have been told that i'll get a response between one and six months or one and four months after i have applied um, and then my understanding of somebody else who's kind of been through the program, there's about an eight week block of um, like one session a week or whatever it looks like. I don't know if they prescribe it per child in need and those types of things, but there's like an eight week block of time in which you're provided services. Um, and I don't know if that's annually. I would suspect it's annually, but again, I haven't been through it yet myself. Um, so that's that's you know to come hopefully will be accepted into that um and and get to experience that because any honestly the way i see it at this point is any slp support that he can get the better it is um but when it comes to comes to private like we were doing two 45 minute sessions a week and one 30 minute session um our 45 minute sessions were i think initially when we started it was 95 dollars for a 45 minute session and I'm not sure if it jumped. We we stopped. We just honestly we couldn't keep up. Um, so the 45 minute sessions we dropped to 30 minute sessions. The 30 minute session was either 70 or 75 dollars per 30 minutes, um, and we were trying to do it three times a week. And then um, with some changes with our SLPs that we work with, um, we dropped to twice a week. And now right now we're doing once a week um, for a half hour. Now he's working on. He's been working on the same sound the same f sound for some time and he is doing really well we also thought maybe over the summer we just i do believe in giving the child a break as well like constantly having that level of of um work being done like he puts in a lot of work um just to speak on a daily right so like you're you're it's a lot of that's a lot of work for a three and a half year old um, to do year round. So taking some time away and give, allowing him to recharge and just work on things as we're, you know, playing or conversing or whatever at home, um, I think is, you know, a break is as good as anything else. No, not unlike us at work, we all need breaks too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he'll be going back into a couple of sessions a week, um, within the next month or so. And then I'm hoping to continue with at least two a week, um, up until he starts school with like the little breaks here and there uh, three times my understanding is three times a week is essentially like the minimum you would like to be doing um but financially I, i'm not sure how people can afford it to, to be honest um but you know with child care costs and all the other things that go into to raising a family it's a yeah it's not cheap yeah this, this, this is the same challenge that i have the newfoundland labrador southern association that there's a definite need for you know for a subsidy for stuttering because stuttering can this is a lifelong it's a lifelong challenge 
and uh, so so the, the, you know the, the, this is a definite gap that we have identified within the province. Now, when when you talk about you have applied for government assistance, is that for speech therapy and finance? Is it all rolled into one? You get eight sessions. Oh, it's just for. Yeah, it's just for the SLP. Um, so I don't. Yeah, we. Um, I'm, we're fortunate. My husband and I have really great have great jobs, and we have great benefits. Um, but we've blown through our benefit allotment. I don't know. Usually within like the first month of the year, we've gone through that. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's just for the eight weeks. It's just for the the government. My understanding with the government's SLP services is it comes in eight week blocks. But I'm not sure if it's like annually or if you can get that like twice a year or what but we're, you know, so that's what we've applied for so how how how, how would families or individuals with uh, speech challenges uh, like the researchers find this link or something it's, it's a maze it's oh a okay maze things like this. it is and that's like i just started searching so i did have my physician um refer us I believe it had to be twice before they received the referral. Um, I also called, I called the Janeway like SLP or like speech center. Let me just actually, if they have two, it's there's a Janeway's Children's Health and Rehab Center. Um, and I think whenever I've called in, I've gotten like the, if the, you know, something has happened and it's acute, um, but I've called and then been, uh, redirected to the line that I need to actually talk to. So that's usually what I do is I just start calling <laughs> and that's what I've done, um, in order to find or get to the right person where I can like self-refer. So I have... I've had my physician refer twice where finally it went through and I've reached out twice myself. Um, the first time I don't receive, believe I received the documentation to self-refer. The second time I did a lot of it, like they did start sending things through email because of COVID. Um, because before I believe a lot of things were sent through mail. Um, but either way, finally, when my physician referred, there was a little less paperwork that I had to complete. So then I completed what I needed to. And if it didn't get it back within, I think it was like a four or six week time frame, um, it would just be, you know, dismissed essentially, or like not, like it didn't exist. So I made sure I had like hit the timelines and um, got my paperwork in in order for him to be put on a wait list and then to be looked at for intake, which I believe they do intake in September. Mm. So, Ashley, is <laughs> there? Would you be able to elaborate on like criteria is for preschool, school age, adolescents, adults, let alone seniors? So I don't. I yeah, know. I only I only went through the process with for Odin, and he's obviously like preschool. Um, I had to complete. So, so the with the physician referral, they sent in the referral. Um, obviously, like he had originally asked for documentation from my SLP, but my SLP told me that, you know, that would be a charge to me to have her write, um, write essentially the referral for the physician to go, right? Whereas he didn't necessarily need that. So I did have the physician send it in without um, additional support from the SLP. Um, but then I had to complete paperwork about, you know, what I believe the concerns to be, um, what we're doing to support it, all that kind of stuff. And then also any other caregiver 
which normally is like the preschool or daycare or whatever, also had to complete paperwork. So I completed paperwork. I brought it, the other paperwork to our daycare. They completed paperwork. Um, I retrieved it from them and sent everything in through mail in order to be received. And then I followed up when I hadn't heard anything in about a month. I followed up asking if everything had been received because I did have the email contact um, from the time I tried to self-refer. And so I got I got hold of them and said, did you receive everything? They said, yes, you should be receiving um, confirmation of receival and like more information within one to three or four months. I think it was four months. Um, so I'm hoping by the end of the year, I'll hear something back and then we'll hopefully be, we'll hopefully get some sessions. That's the, that's the thing, right? Is mm. you a know, little bit of additional support. You know, just listening to you, Ashley, as as a mother, well, as 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 parents of a, a child with you know with not only apraxia but other speech challenges, to have to go through all this maze, because I mean just 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 to explore available uh, if there's any subsidy, what you know what you know uh, what would you recommend to the government to make life easier for parents and families struggling to get services? Just to fine tune this process somehow, because as obvious, she's doing a lot of searching on her own. Yeah, and I think too, if there's there's a lot of people out there like I I work on a computer all day long. I can navigate, um, and how often do I come across a website that's no longer in use from a link that's like outdated? Like that stuff happens, right? Um, but I think. <sighs> how to make it more accessible. I think that's like the biggest question. And I honestly don't know an answer for it mm. because um, having the fact like having, so having a physician's referral, the first thing with something like this, my physician can diagnose apraxia. An SLP would diagnose apraxia. Um, and so, you know, there's there's concerns with the system in and of it in and of itself. Like, you know, I understand physicians have tons of training, and and that's where we get a lot of our. Um, you have to go through referrals for most things through a physician. But um, again, I could self refer, so they've taken away that obstacle, I guess, or that access or lack of, you know, like if I knew that my child had concerns or if I thought there was concerns, I could self refer as well. Um, the navigation piece, I'm not quite sure how to, how you would fix that or even try to make it more accessible because it's, I just start calling. Like I, I've learned that like the more you call and like it takes time and energy and all those things. And there was numerous times I was looking and I was like busy with something else. I was like, I can't do it now. I have to go do this. Um, it just like you have to be your own advocate when it comes to healthcare. And it's always, I feel like it's always been that way. Um, which is sad because people just aren't getting the care they need or require. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not I, sure I, what I, that answer would be. Yeah. So, so actually my, you know, uh, mind if I ask now, you, you know, uh, you, you know, you, you and your husband have had good paying jobs. Okay. The benefits package. Mind if I ask how, how much, um, uh, uh, coverage to get for speech therapy in a year. Mm -hmm. So I believe I get five hundred dollars a year. So if you're paying a hundred dollars a session, 
that would give me essentially set, you know five sessions and that would get me through a week and a half a week and a half. right if you put it with what the recommendation would be for um so like to actually provide the appropriate um what's the word i'm looking for um support for a child with apraxia treatment yeah appropriate treatment exactly um my husband also gets five hundred dollars a year so again maybe we now have three weeks <laughs> Sorry. i get a little frustrated when i talk about it mm -hmm. i was fortunate in my last position uh, my last role which was out of um, saskatchewan that i had a really wonderful benefits package where i had five hundred dollars for speech but then i also had um a thousand dollars of health spending money which is some you know some private enterprises have that in a previous role I had I had twenty two hundred dollars mm. um, of, of money to spend towards anything so if you use a lot of one type of care so if you're doing preventative work whether it's massage or Cairo or physio or whatever it is that you're using that money can be used towards to oh, supplement okay. that or say you have an 80 80 percent coverage for um, medical like expenses so whether that's you know your your medication that other 20% could be covered by your health spending account. So I was fortunate in my last role, so that gave me $1,500 of coverage mm -hmm. um, for him. And then, um, um, and then you know, my, my husband actually held a second job for a while, so we had $500 from that. So we had a total of, I think, 2,500, like last year kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So when you go from even from 2,500 to $1,000 of coverage, uh, with both of us just working one job now um, without any additional like money in a benefits plan and and to be fair $500 is a lot like that isn't is not a lot when you think about what the need is for a child but it's a lot because I know there's lots of plans that give $350 um, anyways and there's a lot of people that don't have plans so you know i consider myself really fortunate that that we've been able to have that coverage um but i honestly i wouldn't know how people how you can do it if you don't if you don't have really good paying jobs with great benefits mm -hmm. yeah it is a, you know it, it is definitely a challenge for a lot of families that are like sing, single parent families self-employed families so so it's a big i mean this is this you know this is a definite issue of our concern that needs you know needs to be placed on under the lens of the government in newfoundland labrador yes certainly is most definitely uh ash i'm wondering now i was noticing that when uh, when i was doing research on apraxia uh there, uh, there appears to be evidence that genetics play a role now you, you you know that the stuttering runs in your father's family. I, as your uncle, have had a stuttering issue, which I've always considered myself to have a severe stutter. Has your speech pathologist or any like your previous speech pathologist talked about the genetic component in the family? Because remember, and yeah, remember, you have uh, there's six boys and one girl in, in your, your father's family, and four of the brothers stutter. Now, has that has this genetic component ever been discussed? So I actually just brought it up um, the last session, and I met with because it was the first time we just had a change in SLP um, in our professional 
within the last couple of weeks, I guess. Um, and so I brought that up. I said, you know, on my dad's side, there is some stuttering. I understand like speech disorders could be like a genetic thing. And she said, there's absolutely no linkage between stuttering and apraxia. Um, with that being said, I am not aware of anyone in our family on either side that has been diagnosed with apraxia. That's not to say it's not there. Um, and like, you know, without getting into too much detail, um, my husband is adopted. So I don't know um, if there is any genetic, um, any genetic ties on size or that side of the family that I, we're not aware of. Right. So, um, but yeah, that's, that was, I asked, I asked just in passing because that's from my perspective, that's my experience has been the stuttering, right. With, um, with the family. Um, but I hadn't, I wasn't sure if there was any linkage mm -hmm. between the stuttering and apraxia, but she, she did, she did tell me there wasn't. Um, but I just don't know then if there's <laughs> where the apraxia could possibly come from. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting that I was just wondering because when, you know, when I read about the genetic factors and maybe a possible genetic, I thought, is there a link here with the family? Yeah. History of family. And, and I still, not being a researcher or a scientist, there's still a question mark on my side, mm -hmm. right? in my head. Yeah. Now, Ashley, uh, and who? Uh, before we close, and uh, you know, thanks again for all your time and patience with the tech technological technological issues challenges today. Now, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a, you're you're a very uh, articulate person, and uh, now from a, a person who does not stutter, what's you know, what's your I guess perspective at this point and you're also a member of the Newfoundland Labrador Stuttering Association what's your perspective as a a, 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 a person that is fluent in in terms of uh, uh, communication at this point what, what's, your, what's your attitude towards communication after being exposed to apraxia a family of a history of stuttering um I don't know. It can come in all different forms. I think, you know, I think everyone, for me, it was, it's, everyone deserves the opportunity to be able to communicate however they need to communicate. Right. And so whatever supports can be, I think, I think we're really lacking in supports when it comes to any concerns, um, that do exist. Um, but my, my attitude, like, I can't say it's changed because I've always felt this way. Like, I just, everyone communicates a little bit differently. And I think as long as there's, you know, that understanding, I don't know. I'm a true believer that people should just treat each other kindly. This might be, like, really ridiculous thing to say, but I don't know. We're all people. We're all trying to do what we're doing. And we're all trying to communicate the way we need to communicate. So... Um, you just treat each other with kindness and know people the opportunity. I don't know. I've, you know, I grew up, I grew up like essentially privileged in this, in this capacity. So, um, you know, when I look at my little boy, it's just give him some time. If he needs, if he needs a little extra time to say what he needs to say, that's okay. Like the, the I just, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how else to answer it because I just think we're, 
We're all human. Mm-hmm. Do, and I just think there's... No, go ahead. That's okay. Do, do, do you feel, actually that there there's uh, there well there there's a deficit in knowledge information within the school system not only about stuttering is obvious as uh, there's more work that needs to be done within school system to understand stuttering but you know I was thinking about Odin when he starts school mm-hmm. you know, if there's any any discussion based on your your experience with the the support groups of online has that issue come up education it has yes yeah um it has quite a bit actually so the the support group online again like i said it's it's american so their experience is a little bit different um and i have spoken with parents uh, that are you know have kids around about my kids age or they're in like primary school um primary grades that they what they've gone through excuse me in order to advocate for their children um, now I know like even just doing kinder start for my daughter, there was a session that talked about SLP services in the school and what that could look like. Um, I've already started asking questions about, you know, <laughs> this might be ridiculous, but you know, standing up with the parents waiting for my daughter to get out of class. I hear over here one parent that I've know I knew from high school say, you know, that teacher is Mrs. Whomever. She also has a special education degree. She's phenomenal with kids with disabilities, um, and she's the kindergarten teacher as well. So I'm like, what's the name? You know, will I like should I advocate for my child when he's ready for kindergarten to be in that classroom with him, with her? Um it's you know it's a lot of it's a lot of being really open and being open that my child does have a neurological speech disorder and motor speech planning disorder um so which means being being vulnerable right but then also being the advocate so um i see tons of concerns coming out of the group with regard to once they get in what kind of supports they're getting again it's american um i've been told here it's maybe not great um, but it has been touched on, I know, in the kinder start sessions for parents who obviously might have some concerns. And I know parents are, and maybe parents, they're just doing what's best for their kids, right? They're communicating a little bit more. Um, and so like, once you start to have those groups and those networks and getting to know who's in what schools and those types of things, then I can start to navigate and, and advocate, um, what's needed. But mm-hmm. I think, um, like with apraxia, no, not, you know, with 1% of the population being diagnosed, I think likely it's probably underdiagnosed based on things like, hey, just give it some time, it'll get better um, from the, some of those stereotypes that you get. Um, mm-hmm. But it really isn't well known um, or researched, really, um, because it's such a small percentage of, of um, people diagnosed with it. So it's just a bit, I know like even some of the parents in these groups are sending letters into the classroom when their kids start school to the teacher um, saying like, you know, my name is like letter that the kid could hand to the teacher saying, this is my name. This is, this is, you know, for lack of a better term, this is my dis- disability. This is how I need support. You know, I need your patience, I need your guidance, I need time to communicate. I need these things in order to be able to have a really great experience and to be able to, you know, work on mm-hmm. my speech and be able to communicate. Um, so there's a lot, there's just lots of advocating. It's just another form of ad, like advocating for your kid, right? So 
I fully expect, and that's, you know, not that I, I, you know, I also have a friend as an adult. Um, she visited this past summer, actually, or maybe it was last summer already. Anyway, she visited and she had mentioned that she believed she had apraxia. Um, I don't know if it was labeled for her or diagnosed, but she said she used to go to speech language all the time. Her parents were always bringing her. Um, and as an adult, like, you know, she's incredibly successful. Like she's a geologist. She, um, oh yeah, she's done very well for herself. Um, and, but like speaking with her, I've always noticed, and again, being a fast speaker, that she speaks, she's very deliberate and she's thoughtful. Mm -hmm. I always, I always thought of as thoughtful, right? She's thoughtful in her words. She takes her time to communicate. Um, but I think a lot of that is learned because if you're managing a motor speech planning disorder, you do those things in order to create the consistency needed in order to be fluent, right? Mm -hmm. you yeah. Know, uh, so, you know, listening to you, Ashley, I mean, it, it is great. I mean, it, it's great that parents are sending the letters uh, to the teachers about the, you know, the the child's challenges. It's like stuttering. There, there, there's also a letter out to teachers about how, how to work with a child that stutters. However, though, the, the teachers need their own support as well. The whole education yes. system needs to educate and support the teachers. And it's just not uh, it's just not left up to the parents as well. So so we have to work together collectively. It, it is you know it's it's the the proper that I use now. And I think you may have heard it is that the old uh, the uh, the old African proverb that it 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 it, it uh, takes a, a village to raise a child. It actually takes you know it takes a care team, a community, and you know and you know and in the disciplinary care team. To, to support a person who stutters, a child who stutters. And then that goes for Odin, apraxia. So, you know, so, yes. so we really have to, instead of working in silos, we need to work together as a, you know, a, a community, teachers, yeah. government, professionals, SLPs. Because I think we, we it's, it's Most such, you know, such a stress on parents having to do all this research online, whatever. So I think we, we, we you know, we need to, you know, we need to come together as a community now this, this, this is great um, don't you know don't get me started on my soapbox <laughs> <laughs> no i agree with you i think like if i had my old professional hat on when i worked in health promotion um like you know we talk about interdisciplinary supports uh, like there's no there's no way that we can do it without that happening and i think you know from this perspective i'm a mom raising a child with a speech disorder. And so in this capacity, I'm an advocate for him. And so like, whatever that means, however, I need to advocate, like, obviously, if I could do it at a higher level, which is less, less in silos, that would be phenomenal. Um, but, you know, even just going through the, the part where we um, tried to get, I tried to get the physician to refer and then I self-refer, but then I was asked for the SLP to provide the referral to the physician to like, you know, there's no need, none of this, it shouldn't be this difficult to navigate and to advocate or make change, right? Like it really should not be this difficult. And I know, again, I may be going on my soapbox now, but, um, 
my primary concern right now is my child and getting the best care I can possibly get for him mm -hmm. um, so that he has the best outcomes possible. But that's not to take away from the fact that like what I'm doing is above and beyond what I should need to be doing just to get basic support for my child. And I'm done before I get too emotional. <laughs> yeah, it's, it becomes very frustrating. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Thanks again, Ashley, for your time today. And because you know, we you know we you know we we need to 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 hear voices of parents of, of with children. And uh, so I mean, so I've actually learned a lot listening listening to you. So. Thanks again for being a guest on some sort of law. Now, before we close, do you have any closing words you want to say? Oh, and 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 and, and, and also, you know, before I forget, it it is great. You know, it it is you know, it, it is an honor to, to have you a member of the the Newfoundland Labrador Study Association. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, I'm um, I don't have too much to say other than I really appreciate you inviting me to do this. Um. Yeah, I think um, it's been, I've learned lots and I know like, you know, putting on the parent hat and then going to the NLSA and putting on like that other hat. Um, it's a really, like it's all, there's just so much work to be done. And so I hope, um, you know, baby steps in the right direction is still, uh, is still forward. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, you know, we're doing, you guys are, you're doing phenomenal things. The group is doing phenomenal things and I'm, I'm looking forward to being part of it for a long time. Um, but yeah, I'll, um, I'll leave it at that and just say thanks very much for the invite today. <laughs> Great. And, and you know, thank, you know, thanks again for your patience with all this uh, uh, technology oh gosh. issues. Okay, we'll, we'll, it's we, all good. We'll, we'll, we'll talk again, Ashley. Take care. For sure. Some Stutter Love is hosted by Greg O'Grady. It is produced, recorded, and edited by Paul De Decker, as well as Luca Dinu, who, by the way, wrote this jazzy theme music. Leah Bugden and Alicia Megason command our pages on Instagram and TikTok. Editing assistance was provided by the Labrador Languages Preservation Laboratory, or Labradori, at the Memorial University of Newfoundland. You can listen to or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Spotify. Video versions of each episode are found on our YouTube page. Some Stutterla is a production of the Communication Collaborative. Thanks for listening.